0: So I don't know how many of you know, but before I was the blessed and grateful pastor of Neck Community Church, I spent about 12 years in youth ministry. Youth ministry, working with teenagers, pointing teenagers to Christ, mentoring teenagers, and trying to build them up to follow Christ. And there were some of the best years of my life. I love spending time with teenagers because teenagers tend to ask the questions that we, as adults, stopped asking a long, long time ago. Teenagers would look around at the world around them, would look around at their own lives and their families, and they would have this question. And they would wonder why no one else is asking this question. And what's the the question that we have stopped asking? It's this question that perhaps pops up even while we're shopping, we're taking our kids to basketball, we're at the gym, or we're working. It's this constant nagging question Should there not be more to life than this? You see, teenagers, they look around themselves and they say, Really? Is this it? There's got to be more. And they fall into two potential traps. The first one is to try and eke out some kind of pleasure in this life through physical pleasure, through fun, through partying, through drinking, through drugs, through sex, whatever it may be. Those teenagers that look around and say, well, we have to change everything. They don't look necessarily to pleasure, but to power and say, all right, well, how can we change things through social structures and governmental institutions? When we come to Daniel chapter 12, what we are reminded of is that there's life after this life that there's more to life than this life, and that nagging question gets clearly answered. How many of us remember the song John Mellencamp sang, Jack and Diane? So I taught this message last night at our Saturday service, quoted this song, and sure enough, this morning, as I'm making my pre-church run to Dunkin' Donuts, Durkin runs on Dunkin', I heard this song playing on the radio. I was only in there for three minutes, so it's confirmation that it's meant for you today, too. (laughs) Jack and Diane, many of us know it well, but it's this one line that stays with us. Life goes on long after the thrill of living is what? Gone. You see, teenagers reject that. But the truth is, do we look to power, do we look to pleasure, Whereas Daniel looks to the person of God, revealed to be later Christ Jesus himself. Daniel chapter 12 also reveals another answer to another constant nagging question. Yes, there should be more to life than this, but the other question is this. The other question we're often too afraid to face is this. Why does everything seem like a battle? On a daily basis, we battle cancer. We use that language, right? We battle enemies. We battle depression. We battle on highways, do we not? Come on, Jersey Shore. <laughs> we battle in capitals. In fact, it's happening right now. We battle also in kitchens. We battle our addictions and we battle our constant boredoms. We battle with each other. And we battle with ourselves. I don't know if you've ever pieced this together, but really all the battles that happen on battlefields are the overflow of the battle that happens in our hearts. All the wars that are waged are really the overflow of the war waging in us. It's World War III inside of me. There was a recent study done of all the wars throughout recorded history. At least ever since 3600 BC. So for the last 5,600 years, scholars, historians, global sociologists got together, and they came up with this study. And it revealed in the last 5,600 years, there was only a period of about 292 years where there wasn't declared war somewhere in civilization. What's the percentage? 0.08%. We're always battling each other. We're always at war with each other. What's so interesting is that Daniel reminds us and reveals to us that there is more to life than this life, and here's the good news as well. There will be a day where evil's reign ends and the battle finally concludes. Yeah, we don't know too much here unless we served in the armed forces, unless we are a first responder, unless we are constantly put in harm's way. Many of us don't know necessarily about the battles that are fought overseas But we know about this constant battle that's hiding just beneath our skin. The battle at work, the battle at home, the battle of our hearts. Daniel chapter 12 reminds us that that battle will end. And here's the good news, that as we fight our battles, we're not fighting them alone. Let's look at Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. Right out of the gate, some very encouraging imagery a very encouraging word. Daniel chapter 12 verse 1 says this. I want you to know all the emphasis on time, okay? At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never since there was a nation till that time, but at that time your people shall be delivered. Everyone who's Name shall be found written in the book. Let's stop right there. You remember our study from last week, Daniel chapter 11, where the kings of the north and the kings of the south will rise and constantly battle over the glorious land. But another king shall rise. He will be a covenant breaker. He will be one that will consolidate power. He will be one that we believe is the fulfillment of what the New Testament describes as this beast This man of lawlessness, this son of destruction, which John calls the Antichrist, that he will arise, but even at the height of his power, he will be left alone. And that is when Michael, who Daniel uses the language of a prince, Jude describes him as an archangel, comes and battles with this king, this king that we believe is the Antichrist. So here at the beginning of this passage, this is good news. Good news that even as we fight our battles, God sends angels to battle for us, to battle forces that we cannot see. So when it seems like we are surrounded by battles, here's the good news. You are surrounded by a God who is battling for you. God sends his angel, Michael. And what's so amazing is that if you take Daniel chapter 12 and you take 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, you can wed Old Testament anew and hear the message that Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica. This is really great news. Envision this in your mind's eye. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven and with a loud command and with the voice of an archangel... And with the trumpet call of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, therefore, what's the therefore? Therefore, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Daniel was encouraged by the revelation from heaven. Paul is encouraging the churches in the first century and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, both Daniel's writings and Paul's writings are for God's people at all times in all places. Do we find encouragement that Christ is soon returning? Because, here's an important principle, our future destiny will shape our present-day devotion. Our future destiny will shape our present-day devotion. So yes, it's encouraging that there's angels battling on our behalf. Yes, it's encouraging that if a time of trouble would come, and it would be the time of trouble, the time of Jacob's trouble, as the prophet Jeremiah said, that even during that time, we have hope. That as dark and as bleak as it may get, God will shine his light into the darkness. We can have certainty even in the darkest misery. Do we know that? And do we believe it? Because what can happen is we can get so acclimated to our surroundings. Has anyone walked from the light into the dark? Maybe a dark closet or a dark bedroom? And at first, when the lights go out, what happens? You can't see anything, right? You can't even see your hand in front of your face. Oh, but if you wait a little bit longer, you start to see shades of gray. You start to see shapes. And if you're there even long enough, perhaps a long time, ironically, when the light was taken away, you couldn't see. But then after being in the dark for a long time and the lights are turned back on, what happens? It's painful. We flinch. We want to run and hide shocking to us. Christ will shine the light of his coming kingdom, and darkness will have no choice but to run, and evil's day will end. That's the good news, that even in a time of trouble, we can know and look forward to a time of rescue, and that's what verse 2 talks about. Verse 2, Daniel chapter 12 says this, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Full stop. Let's pause. If there is a battle waging around us, and if the Lord teaches us, specifically in Ephesians chapter 6, to put on the full armor of God, to hold out the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, is a mission realignment. These are verses where when we come to them, we slow down, we pause, we take a full stop because it reminds us of something so fundamentally and foundationally important, and it gets us back on target. Did you hear what you just said? Did you hear what the Bible just said? There is a real heaven. And there is a real hell. There is a real heaven. There is a real hell. Are you ever bothered by what you're bothered by? Are you ever bothered by what you're bothered by? So I haven't taught on this in a while, but there is a difference between Christianity and churchianity, right? Churchianity tends to be bothered by, let's say, for example, when you walk into a church, the decorations in the church. Churchianity tends to be bothered by what other people are wearing at church. Churchianity tends to be bothered by the music at church. Churchianity tends to be bothered by how people treat them. Oh, he didn't say hi to me. Oh. He said something that was a little offensive to me. I'm very bothered. I'm moving on. And yet, churchianity is never bothered by Daniel chapter 2, Daniel 12, verse 2. Not bothered by the fact that it's not thousands, it's not tens of thousands, it's not even tens of millions, it's more. Churchianity doesn't weep over hundreds of millions of people going to an eternity of contempt and shame. This is mission realignment. We need to be bothered by that. When we're really bothered by that, when it leads us to our knees, and then it leads us to step out in faith and share the hope of the gospel with our friends, our family, our neighbors... Then all the other stuff stops to bother us quite so much. We remember what we are called to do. We are remembered who we are called to be. The good news is that our future destiny shapes our present day devotion. For 1 Peter chapter 3, put it like this The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, since this will happen, Peter asked this question, what kind of people ought you to be? What kind of people ought I to be? He says, you ought to live holy and godly lives. If there is a heaven and this is not it, if there is life and life everlasting, and it is something in our future, then we live our lives in the present with great expectation. I love how Charles Spurgeon put it. This is a great analogy. He's put it like this. The Christian is the most contented man in the world, but he is the least contented with the world. There's a powerful verse written in Philippians chapter 4 where the Apostle Paul says, I have learned the secret of contentment in every and all situations, any and all circumstances. Now, when he wrote that, he wasn't writing that, living in the comfort of suburbia. When he wrote that, he was actually in a prison cell in Rome, chained to a wall with scourging and whipping on his back. No comforts, no family, no friends, probably very little Christian fellowship. And he says, I've learned to be content. So yes, it's true. The gospel of God can so change our priorities, change our hearts, that we can be content, but not with the world. We can learn a modicum of contentment in the world, but not with the world. So Spurgeon uses this analogy. Listen, everyone. This man, this Christian, is like a traveler in an inn. Perfectly satisfied with the inn and its accommodation, considering it as an inn, but putting quite out of all consideration that the inn is his home. You get that? This life is not our home. It's merely a passage. The Bible describes it as a mist or a vapor or a breath goes quickly. If we are trying to put all of our hopes and our dreams, Ecclesiastes chapter three says, God has put eternity into the hearts of men. If you're looking for eternity in this present reality, you will constantly be disappointed and frustrated. Disappointed in your marriage, disappointed in your job, disappointed in your church, disappointed with yourself. And maybe even if we don't understand the gospel, disappointed with God himself. This is just a passage. This is just a place where we are waiting for our final home. I like how John puts it in 1 John chapter 3. He says this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God and so we are. Is that not good news? We are children of the one true God. But it continues, Beloved, we are God's children now And what we will be has yet not been revealed. Listen. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. That moment that you see Christ with your own two eyes, something supernatural, something powerful happens. You are saved, forgiven, purified in this life when you are justified and declared righteous but a day is coming either when he returns to us or we go to him that when we see him we become like him we're transformed forever and the battle finally ends the good news of heaven is that we have hope when the world loses all hope we continue to have it Do we understand this the bible describes heaven and hell as a reality I have no interest in air conditioning hell. Jesus Christ, the most kind and compassionate person who's ever walked planet Earth, spoke of hell more than anyone else. And when we understand what Jesus said, and when we understand what the Bible said about heaven and about hell, what happens? Our gratitude to God for how he saved us, not just from being guilty or feeling bad for ourselves, but the very real reality of an eternity separated from God in hell that leads to gratitude, that leads to true praise, that leads to an overwhelming sense of thankfulness. How many of us struggle with getting old? Come on, now. Come on. Every year we get older, those birthdays are less fun, right? Every year we get older, our body finds new and interesting ways to betray us. We get hurt not by rock climbing or playing football. We get hurt by lying in our beds at night, in our California king bed with our 14 pillows. We wake up, oh, I threw my back out somehow. If heaven is the hope of God's people, here's good news. Every single birthday you're getting one year closer to seeing Jesus face to face. Every single wrinkle that develops on your face is not a sign that time is short, not necessarily a time that you're wasting your life. Those aren't signs that should lead to sadness. No, every wrinkle should be a glory sign. Every wrinkle should be a reminder, oh, I'm getting closer. I'm getting closer to that day where I'm going to see him. These wrinkled eyes that needs glasses to see, I'm going to see him and he's going to make me like himself. Praise the Lord. The reality is, not everyone will see him. Not everyone will enjoy everlasting life with him. What we need to understand, and it's a very important doctrine, is that Daniel and also the New Testament, talk about a resurrection that's for both those going to heaven and those going to hell. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15. Paul puts it like this. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. Daniel And the New Testament says every single person has an immortal soul. You will be resurrected. The issue is, will you be resurrected to everlasting life or everlasting shame or contempt? The only way to know everlasting life is to trust in the one who said that he is the way. He is the truth and he is the life. It's only to trust in the atoning, finished Final work of Jesus Christ on the cross that we can be delivered from our sin, delivered from our rebellion, delivered from the wrath of God. It's only Jesus. So C.S. Lewis puts it like this because I know some of us struggle with the biblical teaching on hell. Maybe this will help a little bit. He puts it like this He says, The answer to all those who object to the doctrine of hell is a question. So the answer is a question. He says, what are you asking God to do? To forgive past sins and to give people a fresh start? To smooth every difficulty and offer miraculous help? But God has done so at the cross of Christ. To forgive them, they will not be forgiven. To leave them alone? Alas, I am afraid that. Is what God does. It's our witness, but it's his saving work. If people will not turn, surrender, repent after the Lord is pursuing them with his love and his mercy and his kindness after they've heard the word and over and over and over again, it may not be just they and maybe even people here in church this morning say, leave me alone, God. Leave me alone, God. Leave me alone, God. Hell is God granting that request. In eternity, in misery, in eternity, in darkness, in eternity, the Bible describes as weeping, gnashing, and fire. Jesus taught on it. We don't consider ourselves more compassionate than him. There is a heaven, but there also is a hell. The next word is a word of rest, specifically to Daniel. Let's jump back to Daniel chapter 12 and look at at verse 4. I'll read verse 4 all the way down to verse 13. The angel says to Daniel, But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? I'm in verse 7. And I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven, and swore by him who lives forever that it would be a time, times, and half a time, and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Daniel admits what we often feel, right? This is confusing. Then I said, "'O oh Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things?' He said, "'Go your way, Daniel.' For the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Verse 10 Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. Verse 11 And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away, and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days, but go your way till the end. Listen to the last words of the book of Daniel. And you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. If you were to take Daniel chapter 12 and a lot of the imagery and the teaching and the truths and the prophecies of the New Testament, specifically the book of Revelation, you would see a lot of overlap. You would see a time of trouble, a time of tribulation. You would see two witnesses. You would see a time of tribulation that's about seven years long. If you take these two numbers and add them together, the 1290 and the 1335, it's just about seven years. You would see that the martyrs have been purified and they are dressed in white. You would see all of these issues. But the one that I think Daniel probably found the most hope in was that his name was written in the book. He was given a book of prophecy, but what matters most in the end is that he is known by God, and he has been sealed as a deposit with the Holy Spirit for the day of salvation. Here's the good news. Daniel, who was a prisoner of war, Daniel who was taken from his land, from his people, from his country, and from its worship, who was thrown into this hostile land. And he faced life-threatening persecution over and over and over again. The same man who faced down the lions. The same man who saw Babylon rise and fall. Who saw Cyrus and Darius rise and fall. The same man who received visions and dreams and interpretations. What matters in the end to Daniel? What matters in the end to Daniel? That he's known by the Lord. And that one day, one day he will find rest. He will find true shalom from his battles. We need to have an eternal view of our battles and understand that that day of rest will come either when Christ returns and brings evil's end or we see him face to face and he wipes away every tear, he makes all things new, and he makes us like himself. In light of all this, church, can we stand? In light of all this, how should we live? In light of all of this, I hope you're encouraged. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, that you are a good, gracious God. You are sovereign over all history sovereign over all eternity you are our faithful father and shepherd and king you who created us who saved us has promised to never leave us nor forsake us hallelujah so father god it's my hope and my prayer that you would take the words of daniel and you would bury them deep in our hearts you would take the words of daniel and renew our minds Most of all, you would take the encouragement given specifically to Daniel and we would find courage in them as well. That for those of us that know Christ, trust in Christ, that this world is the worst that it's ever going to get. Our days, our hope is always filled with the light of God. There's always something to be hopeful for. But for those of us that have been rebelling against Christ, for those of us that have been saying to God, leave me alone. I know more about pleasure. I know more about truth than you. If we die in that state, if we die in our sin, then this is as good as your life will ever get. This is as good as it will ever get because... What's awaiting you is an eternity separated from the beauty and the grace of Christ and what Daniel describes as shame and contempt. So this morning, friends, neighbors, who do we choose? As we fight our battles, who do we look for? Who do we look to as our victor? and as our Savior. Would you open up your heart this morning? Would you stop battling the Lord for kingship of your life? Would you raise that white flag of surrender and say, Lord, I need you. Forgive me. Please fill me with your spirit. In the same way that the Lord instructed Daniel to stand, I'm going to invite everyone to stand as well. In a spirit of prayer, I'm going to invite everyone to rise now. Let's rise together.